Carpenter's Way. Why don't you guys stand up on your feet. Let's find somebody and tell them good morning. Before creation breathed its first breath and all that was to be was not yet. You were seated there on your throne high in glory. Yes, a God alone. You're the one I worship and adore. Every moment leaves me wanting more. In your presence I am overcome. I sing your praise at the top of my lungs. Yeah, you are God, the great Yeah. 
Good morning, everybody. It is uh, great to see you here. You know, I re Chad, you are such a talented guy. Yes, you wrote that song. I was thinking as we sang, I really like that song. Of course, I like all your songs, but that is, it is, what a blessing to have a pastor that writes music, don't you think? We really appreciate it. And uh, I, in case you didn't know, Chad leads a college-age Bible study, who participates with it. Why don't you talk about that for a second, because we haven't talked about that for a while, in case... Okay, uh, Tuesday nights, we meet on AC campus. Uh, it's geared towards college. Uh, you're welcome to come if you're not in college. Uh, we do have a few people come that are older than college. Yeah, we meet in the Technical Workforce Center building. It's uh, Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock. We are working our way through the end of John, so we're kind of kind of the same spot we hear on Sunday morning. So, so yeah, it's fun. We, uh, we hang out for about an hour and a half, just work our way through Scripture, talk, and, yeah, we're actually having Tacos Tuesday if you want to come. Taco Reading Tuesday, tacos. that's got a rhyme to it. Maybe it'll be I know, a right? <laughs> I'm going to start something called Taco Tuesday. <laughs> All right, thank you. You can sit down after last week. <laughs> I had so many of you write last week. Apparently, my announcements went too long, and he started playing uh, to shut me up. But, but uh, if you are college age, uh, and um, let me step back for a second. We are so glad you're here this morning. And those of you watching online, we're glad you're watching online. Uh, but just to be clear, the, the church was birthed by God for relationships, to encourage one another, to spur each other on to love and good deeds. So to, to do that, to accomplish the task of the church, we break down into lots of groups, Bible study groups on Sunday morning, summer on Sunday night. Uh, Chad has one, as we mentioned. Sabrina does one with Chad on, on Sunday mornings, a college age. So we've got lots of Bible studies going on. Man, we would encourage you to, to participate in those. Julie and I lead one for young or newly marrieds. Um, for those who think they're newly married, on Sunday nights at our home at 5 o'clock. But we would really encourage you to get involved in those things. Jump into those things. Build relationships because it's accountability and encouragement. And we want you to be involved in those things. And uh, so that's how, that's like the next step. If you've been visiting Carpenter's Way for a while and you want to get to know folks, that's the way to get to know folks. We are so honored that you're here. 
Uh, it means a lot that you're with us, and, and uh, I, I, in, in light of that, too, I want to mention, for those of you who want to become a members of Carpenter's Way or want to know how we function, um, then on April 14th, Sunday morning, we're going to have what we call our new members class. It starts at 9.30, goes to 11.45. Children's ministries are going on at the same time, but all of the leadership of the church goes through there at one point or another, so you get to meet them, ask questions. We go through the doctrine of the church because we want you, before you become a member, to know everything you need to know about us uh, so that you stay, so you plant. But we're glad you're here this morning and hope that we can encourage you. We are right now um, eight weeks in to a 14-year study on, I don't know how long it's going to be, on the life of Jesus Christ from Scripture. So basically what we're doing, no, normally we take a book of the Bible and go verse by verse or story by story through it. This time we're taking all four of the Gospels and going story by story. And uh, chronologically, we're trying to put them in order to the best of our ability and knowledge to put them in, in order because we think that chrono chronology actually helps us understand what's Jesus doing like this week when he turns tables over. What's the point of that? Why would he do that? Uh, and so we're glad you're here. Uh, even if you haven't been with us in this study before, this will be meaningful to you. Thank you for being a part, whether it's online or here in the room. Grab a Bible. We're going to be in John chapter 2. That's how far into this eight weeks has taken us. Um, and uh, in a few minutes, we'll be with you there. But I, let me highlight a couple other things if you'd open your worship guides. Um, as, as you do, if you're visiting with us, I would love to meet you after. And uh, Julie and I are going to be at the table, the welcome table, immediately following service. We're going to, um, in the coming weeks, we're going to begin construction of our new bathrooms. If you were here last week, you heard us talk about that. Uh, we're working on the campaign for that, the local campaign for, you know, to get people in, like a throne for every rear end. That's what we're thinking. Every child of God has a crown, a, a throne. So we're thinking of things like that. If you have creative ideas, I, I'm just kidding. Lighten up, everybody. It's Sunday morning. Okay. But um, we are going, you're, we're going to begin seeing some dust around, and it's going to be inconvenient. Take a deep breath and say this is just a house. We're, it's just a place where we meet to worship the Lord together, and uh, you're going to see some dust. We're going to be moving some Bible study classes around, and uh, for some of you, that's going to be frustrating. Don't worry. It'll all be done in, within the next two years. So, um, but uh, what we're going to be doing is we are taking um, the Seekers class, uh, and that will be turned into the ladies' restroom, and then the guys will take the men and the women's, and that'll all be redone. Uh, the surprise, Sabrina. The college class is going to be turned into a nursing room. We have a very, uh, we have a very active growth program that involves many infants, and so we're going to have a nursing room. And uh, um, also, what else are we doing? I'm drawing a blank. What else is there? Oh, we're going to be, we're going to be uh, taking what will soon become in the next year or so, uh, when we're done raising funds for it, we're going to take uh, what is the annex, and we're going to gut that. And there is some hazardous uh, glue, uh, asbestos glue that's going to be removed. Uh, but that's what we're going to be doing in the next uh, couple, a few weeks. That'll start. They, said, they told us it's going to take up to five months. Um, and uh, when that's done, God willing, we will have raised the money we need to do the next part, and we'll... We'll work on that. The exciting news is it's all going to be done for cash, you guys. I mean, at, at, if, if at the end of the project to do that, we need to borrow a little. We haven't said we'd never borrow, but we'd sure rather not. We, we want to get this done. Um, we are, if, if you look at that and if you're visiting, just bear with me a moment. Um, we're a, about a couple hundred thousand dollars away from actually getting the whole project done, and we are really excited about that. So uh, the, the next thing when we're done with all this is we will take the annex and turn it into adult discipleship wings so we'll be moving most of the bible studies into new classrooms and then the overflow room 
will become um, a storage, inside storage. So it's going to be cool. We're going to have every corner of this church used for discipling people. And, and, and so these are exciting days, uh, not because of the building, but because we need to improve it. That, uh, that's exciting, what God's doing in our life and your life. And, and I, I want to thank you for your participation financially. Uh, we've, we've raised a good sum, and uh, we're close. And so I, I want just to tell you, I know it's going to be a little frustrating. Um, you're going to see um, plastic on the carpet as you walk because of the dust and stuff. Just uh, bring your, just bring masks. You'll be fine. You know, it's, uh, it is, it is what it is, and we'll, we'll have a good time together. So I think I pretty much. Oh, uh, there's a meeting today at, at noon. Alicia, you want to come talk about that real quick, or do you, are you good? All right. So at, 11, at right after church at noon in right up here, in this room, there's going to be a meeting um, for parents uh, of kids. July 1st through the 8th, uh, this is first through third graders going to camp his way. Camp is getting younger. So if you are sick of raising your child first through third grade and you'd like a week off, Alicia's team would like to take them off your hands. Now, it's great. This is, this is a camp, a, a local camp. It's great ministry. We're so excited. And this is the information uh, meeting you need to be aware of on that. So if you're interested, I know I'm killing this, so you should have come up. All right, so if you have any questions, talk to Alicia or who else? Are you the one? Or Casey? But uh, if you have any questions on that at noon, I'm sure it won't be in a long meeting, but this is a great place to get your questions answered. We've never done a camp for first through third graders before, and, uh, but we're not as scared as you are about it. It will be fantastic. So uh, anyway, uh, last thing, we got our men's picnic that we do every year coming up. Please take some time for that. I, um, I'm responsible for the insert, and there are some changes this year. Like, for instance, we're, at, we're just going to do shotguns this year. Do not bring your 22 because that bullet travels a long way. I know you guys don't know much about guns. Um, uh, but I went, to a, I went to a rodeo this weekend, so I know tons about cowboying and stuff. So, yeah, it was great. Those guys, I don't care. I, I, I have a question. I know one of you has. How many of you have ever ridden a bull, and I mean out of control bull? You're crazy. That animal is nuts, and it, I, I don't know. I don't know if you know this, but those are real animals. I mean, they they sperm, and then getting on a horse and sticking sticking a sharp object in its gut—that's dumb. <laughs> that is so dumb. But you're fun to watch, and it was worth every penny of it. So, um, that was free. For those of you watching online that are a member of PETA, none of what I said is true. So. All right, we're going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time. We're going to prepare for our offering. If you're visiting, we always ask that you not give. We do not want you distracted by money. We have a budget that we put together every year that involves world missions, uh, that involves supporting the ministries of Carpenter's Way as we know them and have them. Um, and we as a church body agree to uh, support those. So that's why we give. What we don't want is people coming in and thinking this is about money because it's not. It's about Jesus, which is why we put him, his name on stage there. So you can't miss that. At the end of our time together today, we want you to walk out of here knowing you need Jesus. That's, that's what we want. Or, or wanting to love him more or blown away at how much he loves you. That's really what we want. So thanks for being here. Let's pray together. Thanks for giving and worshiping in that form, brothers and sisters. This is how we support the work of God across the globe. So. Lord, we love you, and we're thankful you love us, and I thank you for this family that can gather together and, and, and have a good time singing songs and getting into your word and learning from the things that you said about yourself and the things that you wanted your disciples to see in you and you wanted us to see, and they've recorded those things for us, the things that stood out to them and that you put in their hearts, and 
We get to look at one of those today, and boy, there's a lot of folks who use this text to say it's okay to be mad at people and, 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 and wreak havoc. And, and uh, so I ask, Father, this morning that you would help us to understand the text within its context and the truth of the message. And um, I pray that we would have a zeal for your plan and your house, um, as you did. So, Lord, we commit the rest of this time to you. Uh, every word of every song, every, every tone, tune played, every, every note played, the technical stuff, Father, those watching on the Internet, do not let Satan distract by, by digital problems. And, and God, just I pray that as we leave this place in about 45 minutes to an hour, that we will have met with you, Lord Jesus, that we would have met with you and you would have met with us and we'll be changed because of that. So we commit our time to you and ask you to bless it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. and worship with us, you're more than welcome. Oh, I find my shelter in you, my God, and there you give me rest. You are my refuge and my safe place. My strength is in your name.
grace and I praise your great name. Oh, I stand in your grace and I praise your great name. Yes, I stand in your grace and I praise. king he is robed in majesty indeed the lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength the world stands firm and cannot be shaken your throne O lord has stood from the time immemorial you yourself are from the everlasting past the floods have risen up O lord the floods have roared like thunder the floods have lifted their pounding waves. But mightier than the violent raging of the seas, mightier than the breakers on the shore, the Lord above is mightier than these. Your royal laws cannot be changed. You reign, O Lord. Your reign, O Lord, is holy forever and ever. That's your name The mountains shake and crumble That's your name The oceans roar and tumble That's your name Angels will bow the earth will rejoice, your people cry out. Lord of all the earth, we shout your name, shout your name, filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise. Yahweh, Yahweh. 
that's your name the morning breaks in glory that's your name creation sings your story that's your name angels will bow the earth will rejoice your people cry out Oh, 
good song. That'll do. <laughs> As we're singing, I think, man, Easter's coming. We get to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. I love that day. It's going to be a good day. Nancy's working on a sketch for us. It's going to be powerful. And Chad is writing all original musics and a screenplay. And after last week, anything's free game on you, Chad. That was so rude. We don't pay you enough to fire you, so I have to just put up with it. You know, I just, uh, before we get into our time in the Word, kids are leaving for their discipleship stuff going on, but I just want to thank you for loving my family again. I, you know, so many of you showed up yesterday to uh, celebrate Hannah and Zach, and that just means so much to us. I noticed none of you brought Ju- bought Julie and I car- gift cards. I mean, they, I'm kind of mad. They're just kind of observers over the whole celebration. To be honest with you, I'm sick of the celebration. So, happy wedding, Zach and Hannah. Now get on with your life and leave us alone. They're not watching this morning. For those of you who have kids getting marrying age and you're wondering what it's like, it is wonderful and awesome and it's time for it to be done. So uh, I, I know most of you know this, but uh, I have a brother. You know my brother and you've met my sister years ago, but my sister is here and I, I, we don't always make guest stands, but I want to shame her this morning. Terry, will you stand up? This is my old sister. And... <laughs> 
She's the funny one. And uh, then her daughter, Rebecca, will you, will you let them meet you, Rebecca? That is Rebecca. And uh, you guys can sit down. Uh, she has a son who lives in Utah and is a budding Mormon. Just, just kidding. Um, that was a, geneal- a geology joke. Uh, geography, never mind. Um, Re- Rebecca is training to be... This is Carpenter's Way. Get up, get coffee, have lunch, just sit down. Feel free to grab it. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Chris is like, I'm quitting. You don't pay me for this. But um, uh, Rebecca is training to be in the ministry and uh, has a gift for music. Some of you here Wednesday night, and we let her help us lead in worship. But, uh, you know, I was, what a, it, was, it was cool watching her Wednesday night. I just thought, what a privilege, the, the, the legacy of our family. I've got a son in the ministry and, and uh, two nephews who serve the Lord counseling. Uh, in a Christian counseling center, one's a psychiatrist, one is a psychologist. Our family needs both deeply. And uh, my sister helps lead a, uh, a, a, a greeter ministry at her uh, a very large Southern California church she's a, a part of. And her daughter is training to be in ministry. I, I'd say that's, a, I, I mean, wow, how cool is that? I mean, it's, uh, it's exciting. And I, I want to remind you that, that, that your job as a parent is to raise up the next generation of godly men and women. We want these people. Rebecca's not married. Let's find a godly man for her. Come on. I, I, you know, I, know, I know we laugh about that. I say it about Anna all the time, too, and, and you're part of the family, so you have to deal with it, Rebecca, too bad. Um, but it, the truth is we, we've kind of made it like, oh, I met, him in, I met him in church. That's a great place to meet a spouse. As long as we start raising godly men and women, I mean, we want our kids to grow up and, and carry on the truth, not the heritage of the church, the truth of Jesus Christ. So raise up godly kids. Pray with your kids. Pray for them. Pray for their future spouses. It's been so cool over the last month to look at Hannah and say, we prayed for you before Zach was born. We prayed for you. You're the one. You're the one. You're the one we prayed for. Uh, and I know many of you do. Keep praying. Um, if Zach can find a godly wife, then so can your kids. And, uh, but again, thank you for helping us raise our boy. Uh, he, he's, he's doing fine. Thank you for loving him. Um, and uh, wow, you, you're pretty amazing. Our our. Our family, um, and you know, we don't need to get in the junk, but our family's fairly dysfunctional. In uh, those uh, that raised us, our grandparents, my grandfather on my dad's side kind of grew up on the streets of Indianapolis and took care of his family. He was alone on the streets since he was 10 years old. He took care of his family in Indianapolis by fighting in the Golden Gloves. Uh, that was the time. Some of you who are older will remember that. They made money doing that, and that's how he financed his kids, and so he didn't know how to raise his kids, and so my dad... Uh, kind of made it, figured it out as it went along, and, um, you know, we, each generation, with the help of godly counselors and focus in each other, we're, we're, we're doing fine. Raise godly kids, okay? I know it's like, okay, Mark. <laughs> it, it's hard, but that's why we need each other, you guys. We've got to prioritize being together because what the Haley's can teach you about parenting is important, and you don't have to take everything they tell you, but you'd be stupid not to listen. And then you pray and you seek God's wisdom. We are in this together. And uh, it's been funny raising kids. This church has been so supportive of pastor's kids, um, not expecting them to be perfect. Some of you offered them drugs through the years. We want to thank you for that. (laughs) No, seriously, we are in this together. And you are a huge part of why my young lady and my young man walk with Jesus Christ. And a big reason why Rebecca walks with Jesus Christ is because her church has poured their lives into her. Many of you remember that my sister's husband went to be with Jesus a few years ago. And we showed you that picture. Remember, his hands are up in the air. He was going home. 
And uh, I don't want to talk about it too much. I'll get emotional and won't be able to preach. This isn't part of my message. This is free. Um, but the, the godly young woman she is has a lot to do with him and how my sister handled that death. And uh, even in death, even in trial, even in difficulty, I know some of you got stuff going on. We're, we're praying for Gracie right now. She had a concussion, pretty severe concussion, playing soccer. And, and uh, I don't, I don't want to put their family business out there, but you need to pray for Gracie because it doesn't look like she'll ever be in goalie again. And that hurts a little girl's heart. She was very good at it. So we need to pray that while God allows those tragic things, he's, what's it we like to say? When God closes the door, he opens a very tiny window. So let's, <laughs> I added the small part. That was funny. <sighs> the weather's been too good, apparently. You're all sleeping. So it's been about a month since Jesus has returned from spending 40 days in the desert with Lucifer. They spent a month together, and he was lying to Jesus and tempting him, and Jesus was tempted. So Jesus comes back, and as he, he shows up on the scene, John the baptizer is baptizing, and he points at him and says, there's the Lamb of God that's going to remove your sin. Because now he knows. Remember, we learned that right before Jesus went out into the wilderness with Lucifer, he was baptized. And it says that that's when John said he realized that he was the Messiah. Not before then, which is kind of crazy. I know that's going to open a lot, of, a lot of theological questions. Figure it out. John's like, I know he's special, but now he knows he's God. And he comes back and he tells his followers, look, that's the guy. And some of his followers question farther. And the next day you remember that a few of his followers start following Jesus. And Jesus starts collecting disciples. And he gets most of his disciples at this point. In this first week after returning from the wilderness of temptation and and, uh, and they follow him, and, and some of them, but in all of them, Jesus basically says something interesting. And I, <clears throat> this is another thing that we, that, that we just kind of accept and move on with. But I want to remind you that Jesus didn't say, you're going to follow me and change the world. What he said is, come check me out. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. Come look for yourself. See if I'm who you think I am. He never, he never started by saying, commit yourself at this moment or walk away. That's not what he said. He said, check me out. And so that is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And I really want you to understand this. This is why the chronological order of the life of Christ actually adds color and, and three, a third dimension to the story. Because if you want to know what Jesus wanted his followers to know, look at the first few weeks. These are the first things. It's the foundational information that these guys needed to understand. And, and the first thing was Jesus takes his boys back home to his home where there's a family and community party going on. We know it as the wedding of Cana. And the only thing we talk about is Jesus turning water into wine, but there's a ton going on here as we talked about. What's going on? Jesus is introducing his new followers, this rabbi with his new disciples, who he said, I want you to check me out. He's introducing them to his people. You know about that. You're Texans. You know about introducing people to your people. You're a new person. You find a girlfriend in Dallas. You bring her back to East Texas after about six years. Some of you are embarrassed of East Texas. That's because you don't know how precious you are. I want you to know this is the best place on earth to live, right? Well, especially this last week. Summer's kind of rough. But besides that, it is a great place to live. And, and you know why it's a great place to live? Because of you. You care about family and people. That's why we're here. It's incredible. And Jesus, obviously, first thing he does with these boys, when he says, follow me, after he answers some spiritual questions for them, is introduces them to his community and his family. And at a wedding, people are drinking, and they run out of alcohol, and Jesus turns water to wine. And you remember that at the end of that story, it says that watching him do that, the disciples really began to believe that he was the Messiah. That's why he did the water to wine thing. Because he wanted them to see his power. 
And the disciples are standing back going, whoa, we picked the right guy to follow. But as soon as that's over, Jesus does something else. It says he takes them for a week to be alone with his family. How crazy is that? They go to Capernaum, and they spend a week together. They take a family vacation, we'll call it. Doesn't tell us what they did. I can assure you that it involved the fire, you know, fishing probably, hanging out, cooking around over an open fire. You know why? Because Jesus loved his family, his people. You are the summation of who, who raised you. Sorry. And that includes Jesus. I want to remind you that Jesus isn't just 100% God. He's 100% man. So he's introducing his boys to his people. And they spend a week together. And that week is over. And you think your first day back at vacation is crazy. Watch this. John chapter 2, verse 13. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, we're talking about the, the courtyard of the Gentiles is what it's describing here. And, and, and in your mind, I, I could have put a picture up here, but you've all seen it. So in your mind's eye, you just picture it's kind of squares. You've, you've all seen the temple area. You've got squares, and you've got small squares in the middle. And if you look really closely, in the middle square, there's the Holy of Holies. And basically, you have the temple courts. It's, it's got a gate around it. It's got a big fence around it. And there were places that you could enter. It had a police force, and it was protected. That's why there was a big gate around it. But inside, anybody could come. That's called the Court of the Gentiles, and it's surrounded. It's the big open area that looks like a place that you could play baseball in, and, 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 and anybody was welcome. And why? Because even non-believers are invited into the temple courts to see God work among his people. Because this was always for everyone. I want to remind you, when we first hear of God bringing a redeemer through a nation, he tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you like you can't believe, and I'm going to bless the people of the world through you. Our Messiah, our Savior, the one who will die on the cross for our sins, the Lamb of God who will remove our sin was a Jew. Isn't that great? And why is he a Jew? Because it is the least expected people of all, of all people. The smallest group, the most unimpressive, and God chose them to bless the world and to bless us through it. So there's, the, the, there's this courtyard of the, of the Gentiles, and so they walk in there. In the temple area, the courtyard of the Gentiles, he saw merchants selling cattle and sheep and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at the table exchanging foreign money. Passover, as you know, is a, is a, a huge Jewish festival. It's one of three feasts that each faithful Jew were encouraged to return to Jerusalem to celebrate. If you couldn't make three, you at least needed to make one. And if you couldn't make one annually, it was the goal of every Jew, even to this day, to at least celebrate Passover at some point in their life in Jerusalem. It's a big deal. The Passover celebration is not really one day. It's connected with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, so it's actually a seven-day celebration period. One of those days is Passover. The other, seven, the other six days are actually preparing your house, getting rid of the leaven, which in, in Jewish teaching, in Old Testament teaching, is a picture of sin. So you would spend six days getting rid of all the leaven in your house, looking at every corner, sweeping it out. Everything's removed from the shelf. And the point is, make sure that you're truly repentant when you're caught in your sin. Remove the sin. That's something we've lost in the church today. Grace is awesome, but grace isn't effective without repentance. You know, you may be sorry that you were caught at committing adultery, but repentance says you stop and you walk with God and you do the right thing. That's a message for a different day. But that is what they did that week. And as Passover came, people prepared for the Passover sacrifice. As it approached, the city that was already a busy center of Hebrew political and religious life was hugely overpopulated as worshipers began preparing for the Passover celebration. 
many of the worshipers in Jerusalem, most of them I'd like to say, although I wasn't there, but most of them were actually traveling from, from out of town and many from very, very distant places. And as you know, and, and, or at least you think uh, about, because I know we've talked about this before, there is a Passover feast that takes place as part of the celebration. And it would take a, a year to prepare for it by raising, for instance, a lamb that was without blemish. You had the right kind of lamb. Or if you were poorer, you could use a dove, but you had to have a right kind of sacrifice. And before you could actually do a Passover sacrifice, that particular item, whether it was a sheep or a dove or a pigeon, depending on your wealth, you would have to have it approved by the priest. So you would take, if you brought that from long distances, you would take that offering to the priest who would lay hands on it and say, this is an acceptable sacrifice. I have checked it. It is kosher. Uh, that is not an ancient word, but we'll use that word for understanding today. What was happening at this point is Jesus walks in and is in the, in the, in the, um, in the, in the Gentile courts this place that was supposed to be a place where anyone, Jew or Gentile, could come in and actually watch God work among his people and actually be invited. And I want to make it clear that you did not have to be a Jew to worship Jehovah. You could be a Gentile that was called alienated into the people of Israel. You could worship God. You could become one of his worshipers if you will submit to his laws to the Jews under the Old Covenant. But this courtyard where that kind of evangelism took place had been turned into a marketplace. It was a marketplace where worshipers could purchase the required sacrifices for the upcoming festivals. Now, before you believe your angry preacher, I want to say that this was actually a very, very helpful thing for them. It doesn't ever say that that was evil. It was helpful because if you had traveled hundreds of miles with your family, to not have to bring a sacrifice was a good thing. And since the priest would offer it, would, would actually accept or reject sacrifices, it's not a bad idea for them to sell sacrifices that were acceptable. So this was a common practice. Another thing that happens at Passover is if it was the only time of the year you would make your way into the temple, temple taxes are collected. And what that was is that's how, uh, for those of you who have been studying the Old Testament with us or reading it through, uh, the Levite, the, 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 uh, the tribe of Levi was a tribe of priests. And it's the only tribe that was not given property or a particular uh, marketing angle to it. This tribe's responsibility was to make sacrifice for the nation before the people. And because God wanted to provide for them outside of the marketplace, the Levites were given property. They didn't have to purchase it. They were given animals. And when you came to sacrifice, you would give temple taxes to them so that they could live. Um, there is a lot of talk today because of the backlash of money in the church. There's a lot of people who say the Bible never promotes vocational shepherding. That's not true. It's an ignorant, angry statement. The scripture clearly says a workman is worthy of his hire. But it also says that the reason that you support pastors and missionaries is so that they don't have to work in the marketplace. Uh, we're not saying that that's not wise in many mission things. It's, good, it's a good way to, if, if you're going to Africa, it'd be good to be a well driller because they want you there and it gives you an avenue to do ministry. But the truth is, if you think about it, you don't want a pastor whose heart is divided between making a billion dollars outside of the church and, and preparing for ministering to you because the goal of the shepherd is actually to minister to the sheep while you go out there and you evangelize. That's the job. The, the, a pastor, a, a vocational minister is a gift to the church to keep you focused and encouraged. And so in all of this, the point was, I don't want, I don't want my priest to have to divide his time between raising, you know, raising sacrificial lambs and finding money in order to keep this thing going with their ministry. So 
the other 11 tribes would support them. I'm bringing you back to this story. So uh, uh, taxes were collected, temple taxes they're called, were collected in currency, local currency. So when they would come in, they would have to exchange their Roman dollar or whatever it was for a local currency so that the priests, again, would not have to worry about the market. They could just spend the money they needed to keep the temple up. Does that make sense? This is all logical. Just so you know, God's laws are logical. The way he worked it out, they, they don't want the, they don't want, you do not want priests marketing themselves. That's, it's not a good thing because you don't know where the, you understand the danger of that because, well, you're living in it. But that's a different discussion for about 15 minutes from now. The, the fact is that what was happening was not bad. What it had become was bad. Jesus walks in with his disciples, and he doesn't just see a corner over here where people could go buy sheep or doves or pigeons. He sees a majority of the brought-in sacrifices, history tells us, being rejected by these guys. So the priests would see a family from Nazareth that had traveled two days, three days journey, and they were predominantly rejecting that lamb. And get this, history tells us, not scripture, but outside of scripture, it tells us what was happening during this time is that they would reject them, and then they would just happen to offer them a lamb that was acceptable at about 100 times the price of having their own lamb and raising it. But what are you going to do? You're in Jerusalem maybe once in your life or once a year. You're there to celebrate. And if you don't have a Passover lamb, you don't get to celebrate. So you buy that lamb. They're bilking you. It's a racket scheme. And Jesus is watching this. And then he looks over at the, at the tables next to him. And money changers, while you're there, you not only have to sacrifice and get an accepted sacrifice. Oh, one more thing about the lambs. History tells us that during this period of time, a lamb that was rejected by one priest would be put in a pen. And guess what would happen to that lamb? they would sell that lamb to another traveler for 100 times. That's a good racket. I'm thinking about trying to figure that out here. The next table were money changers because not only were you to sacrifice during this period of time, but you needed to give taxes, as I've already described, and the purpose for it. What they would do, though, the exchange rate was unbelievable. It was about three times the amount of the coin in the first place. And what are you going to do? You have to pay temple tax. If you want to be in a right relationship with God under the authority of the temple and you believe that this is your duty and you believe that this is part of how you're made right with God, you get the picture. You have an absolute racket. I'm sure you get the concept. What probably began as a service to traveling worshipers had become religious marketing. It was a racket. And that's what Jesus saw when he and his newly minted disciples walked into Jerusalem that day to celebrate the Passover. And so verse 15 tells us what happens. He makes a whip from some ropes and he chases them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle. He scattered the money changers, coins all over the floor. Can you picture it? Can you imagine what the disciples are thinking? He turns over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. This is the first of two times Jesus is actually going to clear the temple. Most of us don't realize there are two. This one takes place the first week of his public ministry. And, and what I mean by that is up to now he turns water into wine. That's with his family and his people. Then they go on a family vacation. 
So this is the first week of him with his boys, and we don't hear anything about his family being with him. They might have been, but that's not the point of the story or even important. But this is the first week Jesus says, let's go over to, pa over to Passover. For those of you who are already thinking ahead of me, which is one of the dangers of the church, for those of you thinking ahead of me, Jesus is not throwing out religion here. Jesus was planning on participating in the Jewish religion here. Jesus didn't say, let's go turn tables over. He said, let's go to Passover. The point was he was going to participate. I want to remind you that the medium by which God would bring people into, his, into a relationship with him was through the Jewish Old Covenant law at this point. But it wasn't the law that saved you. Jesus was not anti-religion. He was anti-bullcrap. And I say that carefully because there's a lot of words we can call it. When you take the sinful heart of a man or a woman, especially a leader, and you marry it with profiteering, and you turn it into a religion, and you use the laws of God to manipulate people, you end up with what happened here. And you know it. You know it, because you've seen it. When we were at Moody Bible Institute, there was a guy, and it doesn't matter who he was, but one of the many hucksters of Christianity, who was talking about having, you know, I'll pray for you on TV. I'll pray for you if you call. So I called, and I asked him to pray. Within a week, I had received a little blue square of the cheapest cloth you could imagine. And I was told that if I take $5, and I, I, I touch the cloth, and I talk about uh, what I need prayer for, and I send it back to this guy, he would take that cloth, lay down on it, and pray for me. But it included a $5 gift. Gift. Then I laughed. I told my theology classes about it. We all laughed scoffingly and went on with life. A week later, I got a red piece of, what do you crochet with? Yarn. It was a red piece of yarn, about that long, that said it was actually the cord of Rahab. And if I will hang it out of my window, carefully so it doesn't fall, and I will pray over that and send $15 he would actually pray for me by name. That's this. That dude should be praying for me just because I asked for prayer. But what happened is we began to sell what God told us as ministers to give away for free. That's what's happening here. That's why Jesus makes a whip from some ropes and chases them out of the, of the temple. Again, Jesus is not rejecting Jewish religion like is often said, he brought the disciples here. What God had made free and called them to proclaim, the ministers, the rabbis, the, 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 the Pharisees, what they were supposed to proclaim as free, they had figured out a way to monetize. That's what's going on here. They had monetized the free gift of God. Now, they had to raise the lamb and stuff, but I'm talking about their job was to make sure that those lambs were covenant-worthy lambs, and that was not complicated. In turn, what they were doing was rejecting them, rejecting them and selling for a profit. Pay attention. Verse 15 again. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers, coins all over the floor, and turned over the tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. So of the two times he's, gonna, he's going to do this, this time he was actually more gentle. The last week of his ministry, he's going to do this again, and he's going to say, you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. 
This time, it's a marketplace. I didn't call you to be marketeers. I didn't call you to be profiteers. I didn't even ask you to figure out how to finance this temple. I told my people to do it. Verse 17. Then, this is important, his disciples remembered the prophecy from the Scriptures, passion for God's house will consume me. We study the scriptures a lot today, and, and we, but we unfortunately break them into independent stories, and context actually gives us meat. Context helps us to get a little bit deeper into it, and I want to remind you that this is a newly minted group of believers. It is probably within the first month of him having these guys follow him, and what does he want them to know? That he's capable of turning water into wine. He loves his people enough to spend a week with them. He goes and spends vacation with them, so family matters, home matters, relationship matter. That's the core, but he also wants them to know that he has a passion for God's house. That God's house, the message of that, the thing that God sent them to proclaim, he is passionate about. This event was not just Jesus protecting, uh, protecting worshipers who were being built by religious hucksters. To be honest, Jesus actually upset the flow of their plans this day. I want you to know that I believe as a pastor, having done this for 33 years, I think that those people who are waiting in line to have their lambs rejected were actually probably just as angry as the priests that day. Why would I say that? Because they had a schedule that they were on that involved temple worship and having their sacrifices approved. Jesus just turned the tables over. He let the lambs that they would have purchased go. He let them run amok. He actually uh, throws the money on the floor. There is no more process by which they can prepare themselves for Passover because I would like to remind you that to the Jews and maybe to a lot of Christians, it's not really about Jesus or redemption. It's about the feast. See, the problem with organized worship is it becomes about organized worship. It was never, this is a gift from God. That was a gift from God. But it was never about making sure that everything you did was exactly according to the law. The point of the law, according to Romans chapter 3, is actually to show us we can't keep the law. Those of you who are reading through the Old Testament with me right now, when you're in Leviticus, I know what you felt because my less spiritual wife felt it. I love Leviticus. Every word was so meaningful to me. I've actually memorized it backwards and forwards in the original Hebrew. Oh my gosh, that is a horrible book to read. I mean, I'm thinking, I said to Julie one day, I'm, I'm kidding, we were reading it together, but I, I said to Julie one day, I, I just wouldn't have been a priest. I mean, if God called me, I would, but they must have smelled like blood every day. I think Lydia wrote me a letter and, uh, one day and said, is this, is this once a year or every day sacrifices? These dudes were bleeding animals every day. For the nation, it was a couple times a year, but for every family, every time you needed a cleansing, every time you wanted to enter the court, every time you're taking an animal to a priest who's bleeding that bad boy out. I mean, it must have, I don't want to offend you. That's a beautiful smell, hunters. But it, can, can you imagine what their life is? Sticky and, and, and smelly and the grounds. and I mean, it's just not pleasant. It, it's easy to look at pictures and drawings. But you have to understand that the temple grounds had to smell like blood. And you know, I think that's part of it. I think the Jews were supposed to go, I can't keep up with this. And God goes, hold my beer. If you're visiting with us today, I've offended you on two different occasions. You haven't been with us, just bear with me. It's one of my favorite Texas phrases, not because I drink, but because I think it explains a lot. It's, it's one of the dumbest things. Actually, it's the last thing you hear a lot of rednecks say. But it's also... It's also one of the coolest things that they say. 
If, so, if your truck is stuck and you're with the guy and you don't want to get muddy and you go, I don't know how we're going to get out of there. there you, got, you probably got a friend that goes, hold my beer. I'm going to get it out of there. That's a good thing. And, when the, and, and in the Gospels, and, and we talked about this story, is, you know, you're laughing because you know what the phrase means. When the disciples look at Jesus and says, if that guy can't get saved, who can get saved? Jesus does not say, hold my beer. What he says is, you're right, with man it's impossible, but with me, oh, this will be just fine. We forgot that. They forgot that. This is about him redeeming, free of cost. It was about them coming into the courts of the Gentiles, Gentiles, wicked Gentiles. Do you know who built this? Herod built this. Herod had renovated what had been built hundreds of years before and had fallen into disrepair. And he rebuilt this. And the Jews loved what he had done. It was sitting on a hill. The view was great. It was majestic and it was awesome for a priest that wanted to make a dime. It was perfect. And you know who else it was awesome for? That person who did not want to humble himself before God all year long. He could get a lamb or he could save his money and he could buy grace in his mind by paying temple taxes and an animal. And Jesus is looking around and going, this has turned in from what it was intended to be into a stinking marketplace. You ever been to a Christian bookstore? For $3.75, you can buy testaments. Google it. That's a real deal. And every little mint has a verse scripture on it. And what you could buy at Target for 75 cents, you can spend $3.50 for. I know it's not the exact same thing, but why do you guys buy stuff like that? You guys, I don't buy stuff like that. Why would you send $5 to a huckster for a cheap piece of cloth he claims is something Old Testament-y? Why would you do that? Pastor, you're getting in our face. All I know is when I was in a church that was really solid theologically, I had, a, I had several families still sending money to Jim and Tammy Baker after it was clear that they were hucksters. And by the way, Jim and Tammy Baker started out good. They had a little white van, and they were traveling the country going to parks. Any park they could, they had raised money, and they would, they would put puppet shows on for children and tell people about Jesus. But some point along the line, they realized it could be monetized, and their eyes got off of him and onto themselves. You see, we can all fall, which, by the way, is why God invented the local church. You see, you all have heroes, and I have heroes, people like Beth Moore, John MacArthur, fill in the gap with people you like their theology. But one of the reasons you love their theology is because you don't know them. You don't know them. A few years back, we had had a concert. And uh, one of our favorite artists, doesn't matter who it is, um, but one of our favorite artists came in. The guy had no time for us. We paid thousands of dollars for this guy to come in. I know he's busy. I know he's tired. But the truth is he was here to do a concert. He wasn't here to talk to people. Well, you have to understand how many people he can talk to. Okay. This is about people. You see, in the local church, you have a unique, a unique opportunity. You get to watch me live. You get to watch Jeff live and Alicia live. You get to watch us struggle with things like raising our kids when they get sick, marrying our kids off. One of the reasons I'm overly honest with you is because I want you to know that I feel the same thing you do. It broke my heart to have my son leave my home, and I'm now excited he's gone, and I'm ready for the celebration to be over, but I'm still a little sad. You know what that's like. You know, I wake up with aches in my ankles now that I'm 52 in places it didn't hurt. and It's weird. Three minutes later, it doesn't hurt, but my shoulder hurts. I, it's, it's definitely satanic, but you go through life. 
I've been doing this since I was 17 years of age, and everything you have felt since you were 17, I felt only in front of a pulpit. The truth is we're supposed to do it together. You're supposed to hold me accountable. The minute I start selling the gospel, I'll actually, if I even look like I'm selling the gospel, somebody is going to say, you know, Pastor, be careful. You're selling a cheap T-shirt with Carpenter's Way on it for $4,200. I mean, seriously. Should you really be selling it for $4,200? Oh, yeah, it's a special shirt. I pray over it. Let me just be clear of two things. Number one, it's your job to make sure we never do that. Number two, I will sell you this shirt with my sweat on it for $4,200 right now. You see, the, the, the thing is that I hope you're learning from our Old Testament studies and our new is that the heart of people hasn't changed, just our technology has. You see, people were saved under the old covenant the same way they're saved under the new, by, by faith, believing that the promise of God would be fulfilled in a Messiah, that he would one day offer us a lamb somehow. They didn't understand how, but they knew that one day he had promised, according to Isaiah, to send someone who would be their sacrificial lamb. Only this guy's sacrifice would actually remove their sin. They had no idea what that would look like. But they were looking forward to God fulfilling that promise, and everyone who by faith looked forward were redeemed. They're called Old Testament saints. Their sin was not removed, it was atoned for. Not everybody who went, to the, to, who went to, into Jerusalem and who sacrificed the Passover lamb. John, uh, Paul talks about that in Galatians. Just because you're the child of Abraham, just because your body's circumcised doesn't mean your heart has been. It's those whose hearts are circumcised that are really the children of God, Galatians says. And it's no different in the church today. You see, the problem with Judaism was it was a drug to Jews. The problem, problem with Christianity is it's a drug to Christians. I mean, if you are a middle-class white person or you're morally middle ground, this works for you. It's like a good club that you can or, can or don't have to pay dues to, but you could be a part of people that are like you and you can have some fun and you can listen to some original music that sounds like 80s music we can kind of connect with. It's just the way, I'm sorry, I just offended you. 90s? To turn of the century, awesome, edgy, millennial type stuff, dude. The, the, the truth is this works. Our pastor's hilarious and he looks good in a blazer. I never get an amen to that, but one of these times I will. I mean, this, this works for us. This is fun. Church is fun, right? I mean, it really is. I know sometimes it's guilt rendering and it's tiring and you want to stay home when it rains, sprinkles. But, but it's, it, it's, it's fun. We have a good time together. We had cake yesterday. We had so much fun. We had a homeless guy coming in and eat cake with us. It's just life. We're doing a good thing, but what happens when we fall in love with that thing more than Jesus? We're in trouble. And that's where Satan lives. You see, the, the pro probably, it's not going to happen. We are not going to have a, a, an usher in a, a, a group of prostitutes in this place, or Satan is not going to go, I got an idea. Why don't you turn this into a coven? We're not that stupid. What he's going to do is he's going to take the truth and the awesome stuff we love about this and make it our God. That's what's happening here. Nothing they're doing in and of itself is wrong. The problem is they monetized it. And by monetizing, I don't just mean money. I mean ego. If you're a Jew, you like the Passover, even if you reject today the story of the Exodus. Do you know that there are secular Jews who believe that the Passover, when they do the Passover, they're not thinking back in Exodus because they don't believe that God did that. They're thinking back over the Holocaust. You can make it whatever you want, but they still, as secular Jews, worship the Passover. Not because they believe in God, they don't, but because that's what you do as a Jew. What do we do as patriotic East Texan Americans on Sunday mornings? Yeah. 
So a couple things. Number one, don't be so Christian you miss Jesus. Number two, don't make an excuse for yourself not to go to church, those who watch online and don't go. Because loving your brothers and sisters is as important as loving God. We do this together to fix this. I, am, I, you know, I hear from you that people say, I don't want to go to church. There's too many hypocrites there. Well, duh. That's why we're here. We keep each other on the straight and narrow. When I find out that, that, when you find out, let me use me, that I'm a hypocrite, that's when you confront me. I have elders all the time, not confronting my hypocrisy, but things they're concerned about. Things like saying crap from the pulpit. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. I'm not that good. I went to a rodeo this weekend feeling cowboyish. We're, the, the, the truth is, the truth is, we walk with God. And then we walk with each other as we follow God. They were walking with the priests who were not walking with God. You get it? This is why he wanted the disciples who he had just spent a few weeks with, with his people, turning water into wine and hanging out, he wanted them to know that he had a passion, a spiritual passion. He wasn't just here to go, hey, it's good to see you. Okay, Mom, I'll turn water into wine. Hey, I'm the barista at the wine party. That's not what, that, that was part of what he came here to do. But what he really came here to do was to make sure that everybody knew that this lamb was new. And that's what happens. The disciples immediately remember the prophecy from the Scripture, passion for God's house will consume him. He immediately remembers that. Verse 18, the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show, through a, uh, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. Okay, this is where it gets really good. And the Greek here lays this out, okay? So bear with me. These boys are mad. Jesus is messing with their biggest day of profits for the year. He just sent their marketplace. Well, it's, it's just not a marketplace anymore. And they want to know what right he has to upset their game. They say, if God is really your father, because you just said you have turned my father's house into a marketplace. If you're really that guy, prove it to us. Do a miracle. And Jesus says something remarkable. All right? Destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up. What, they exclaimed? It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? But Jesus, when he said this temple, he meant his own body. This is fascinating to me, because as I read about different people's interpretation of this, it's amazing how off we are on this. People immediately go to, well, what Jesus is talking about, his death, burial, and resurrection, and he is. But I want you to understand that in the Greek, what he says to these guys is, here's what I want you to do. I want you to set up my magic show. I want you to destroy this temple. And he's pointing at his body. And by the way, that's the only thing the Greek can mean. The Greek not only tells you what the verb is, the action, destroy, but it tells who's going to do the destroying. And in this, Jesus is commanding the, these people who are questioning him, you are going to destroy the temple. And it actually does it. it the, the, the word temple, the noun temple, says that he's referring to himself. There's another place in the New Testament when we get there that will probably rock your world. When Jesus says to Peter, on this rock I'll build my house and the gates of hell won't prevail against it, and you've heard all those messages that Petros, God built his, uh, his church on the cornerstone of this man named Peter, the Greek doesn't allow for that. It's one of my favorite, I always say that every Sunday, it's a really cool New Testament passage. What he's actually saying in the Greek is, little Peter, 
you're very intelligent for knowing this, but I'm going to build my house on this rock, talking about himself. And Paul says that later, that the stone that the, the builders rejected became the cornerstone. He's talking about himself. Little Peter, little rock, you're the little rock. Thanks for your knowledge. Thanks for your faithfulness. But God's going to build his rock on this. Do you know where we came up with Peter being the rock? And, and for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, just zone out for a moment. The Catholic Church. Why? Because the Catholic Church is a papal church. Forgive me if you're Catholic, but it's a papal church. If the, if the Pope sits in ex cathedra, if he sits on his chair and he holds the scepter of God, everything he sex, says actually supersedes anything that any Pope has ever said. It's as if God said it. Because in the Catholic Church, it's not the Word of God that's final authority. It's the Word of God as interpreted by the church. So the church is ultimate authority. So the Pope can change truth. The Pope can say that homosexuality is okay today, no matter what the Bible says, because it's as the Pope sits in ex-cathedral, he declares truth. That's why the Catholic Church says that Peter was the cornerstone because he's the first Pope, according to the Catholic Church. You see, there's reasons for all of doctrine. The truth is Jesus Christ is talking about himself. He's looking at these guys who are challenging him, going, by what authority do you have to, to, to turn these tables over and ruin what we're doing here? We're doing God's work. And Jesus, and they say, if you're really God's sent one, then do a miracle. And he goes, okay, all right, I'll do a miracle. You, I command you to destroy this temple, and you watch me rebuild it in three days. What's he talking about? The resurrection. You see, the people, the priests that day are going, he's a temple terrorist. He's threatening to tear this down because that's all they ever thought about. They didn't think about Jesus being the redeemer. No matter what John the baptizer said, no matter what Jesus would say, they never saw him as their antidote to sin. They saw the temple as the antidote to sin. These weren't Jehovah worshipers as the Jews. They were temple worshipers. And there is a fine line, but an eternal destiny difference between the two. We better be careful, friend. Because Judaism was the right-wing religion of its day. It was the Mosaic religion. It was the religion that had the truth. And if you don't think that the Baptist Church or the Assemblies of God Church or the Evangelical Church today can be off point by beginning to worship the church and its morality, you're not paying attention today. I want to make it clear on something that's going on. I've been posting lately uh, on our Facebook page articles about the persecution going on in the church today. It's going on all over the globe, and I wish it would stop. But you understand that it tells us in Scripture that this is going to progress more and more until the Lord returns. We need to pray for them, not deliver them. This is their task. Well, it's terrible. Your task is to live faithful for the next however long God gives us. The truth is, this is about Jesus not living. It's about Jesus not morality. It's about Jesus not the United States of America. It's about, it's about redemption and reconciliation between God and man, not about the temple courts. This was not about making enough money. God can, can be worshipped in a broken down old temple. The only reason it was broken down 46 years before Herod started rebuilding it is because they had taken their eyes off of Jehovah God and served themselves. Other nations had overrun the temple. The temple wasn't their priority. God wasn't their priority. Reconciliation wasn't their priority. They were their priority. And I warn us, church, that the United States of America should never have been or ever be our priority. Our priority is Jesus Christ. Whether we have a building or we meet in a parking lot or you meet with your family in your backyard or underground or in somebody's basement, we can never step away from Jesus Christ. And no matter what the world does to us, no matter how little the money is, we remain faithful to him because he's the only thing that will work. And that's what he's showing the disciples. This is an angry version of the guy they've been spending a month with, and they were impressed with him. But what's amazing is the minute he turns these cords into whips and he clears this, 
the Holy Spirit immediately reminds them of Psalms, of the book of Psalms that tells them that the fervor of the Lord's house and its message, that would burn in his soul. And you know what they thought? Oh, that's right. That too is a prophecy fulfilled. That's what they remembered. And it didn't end there. So Jesus tells them, all right, destroy this temple. In three days, I'll raise it up. One of the reasons Jesus rose from the dead is to validate and vindicate everything he ever said. Anybody can claim to be the Messiah, but only one, one will lay down his life and come back to life and overcome death. Only Jesus. It's intense. 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. Look at this verse. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, and it's the man, Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone, and this is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. Jesus wanted his disciples and us and those there to thank God for freeing them from the slavery to Egypt. To all who would seek him, he wanted them to know that he could free them from their sin. Second, First Timothy 2, 6, is, it says he gave his life to purchase our freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from even religious slavery. And if you don't think that Christianity is a religion that enslaves, you haven't been paying attention. It does. Your job is not to make me look good. It's not to make us look good. It's not to grow great cathedrals. We do need bathrooms. It, it, it's, it's not to put signs and it's not to, I don't know, seems to me that if you have to put signs up around a community to tell them what your church does, then our people aren't living it. I, I can't understand why Carpenter's Way doesn't have 52,000 people in it, to be truthful with you, but I know it's not because you're not living for the Lord. The, the truth is, you are the signpost of what God is doing in our church because you are an emissary for the King of Kings. And if people don't want to know your God because of your life, then why would we want to pretend like we've got something to offer anybody? I mean, the truth is, we need to be careful that we don't turn this into a marketplace. Yes, but we can use marketing techniques to grow a church. Wow. Okay. Yes, you can. I'm not into that. I'm not your pastor if that's your route. I'm not threading you. This is just where we are in this culture, right? I mean, I, I know I'm getting intense here. But our job is to build each other up for the, for the kingdom, to tell people that they too can join us, whether they be rich or poor, black or white, slave or free, whether they be illegal or legal. Satan wants us divided by socioeconomic status, by the color of our sin, our history, our anger, our hurt. He wants us divided by all those things, and he will feed your frustration and your anger. Just love Jesus. Just love Jesus. Follow Jesus. Be like the disciples going, I mean, can you imagine what they were thinking? Retro. I mean, the temple police were probably not, not very happy about this. But they had just seen him turn water into wine. You realize that these guys grew up going to Jerusalem for Passover, right? I'm, I'm almost done. You realize that these boys were used to this. This was like old news to them. Oh, that's just how Judaism is, Judaism is these days. Jesus goes in and says, I don't accept this. It's not okay. In the book of John, the Gospel of John, John is going to write that Jesus is the new lamb. Jesus is the new temple. 
Jesus is the place of worship instead of a single location in the Middle East. Jesus was offering to free up people by raising up a new temple, a new priest, a new lamb, whose blood would permanently remove all of the sin of anyone who would simply run to him and to mediate, to reconcile them to God. In case you think that I'm not dealing with this text properly, look at John 2.22, the last part of this story. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remember that he said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. This story, three and a half years before his murder, this story carried on so much emphasis in their heart that after he rose from the dead, those guys looked at each other and said, that's what he was talking about way back when he took those ropes and said his house was a marketplace instead of a holy place. Wow. That's how significant this story is. What about you, my religious friend? In whom or what are you leaning for spiritual hope? Your favorite preacher or author or musician? The old church feeling you grew up with in East Texas? personal morality or religious zealousness, lean into Jesus for your salvation. He is the only one. He's willing to rip this down so that only he's left. Focus on him. Obsess over him. And all of that is free. It's all free. What he says about himself, which is what we're studying right now, proves he is who we're looking for. What the scriptures say about him written thousands, hundreds, if not thousands of years before, proves that what he said was worthy of being heard. So what are you going to do with Jesus? What are we going to do with Jesus? It should only be about Jesus. Run to Jesus. Jesus, when dealing with religious people, said, come to me, all of you who are laboring are tired. I'll give you rest. He was talking to religious Jews when he said that because they were tired. Are you tired? Are you tired of not being good enough? Are you tired of trying to measure up? Are you tired? Run to Jesus. He cleared this for you. He's all that's left. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would protect us from religiosity. It's not that you're against the Christian religion. It's you're against us turning it into a marketplace. When we are more about healthy families than we are faith, when we are more about a political agenda or a moral agenda than we are offering grace and mercy to people who are immoral, we have left your message. So raise us up, Father. Make us like the disciples that don't always understand what you're doing or why you're doing it, but trust you. Raise us up, Father, to follow you and your scriptures. May we be like the disciples here, and may these stories take us back to the scriptures and remember what is said about you, and may we be a people who follows you and no one else. Thank you for this morning's time in the Word, and now as we go to discuss it in our Bible studies, I pray that you would control those conversations and you would make us closer to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. If you don't know the Lord this morning, I would love to introduce you to my dad. I'll be up here. I'd love to talk with you. Bible study is going to start in about five minutes. If you're visiting with us, Julie and I would love to talk with you at the table. Uh, I'll be there in about five minutes as well. God bless you.